Hello, this is Dan Smith. Welcome to the Christian Leadership Podcast, where we delve into the hearts and minds of Christian leaders. Bill and Sharon Richardson came all the way from Aberdeen, Scotland to take the pastorate at the Evangelical Free Church at the Palouse. Today, we talk with the Richardsons about that journey, as well as the importance of prayer in their ministry. All right, Bill and Sharon, welcome to the Christian Leadership Podcast. Glad to have you here today. Let's just start out. We can go, whichever one of you go first, tell me how you became a Christian. Sharon, Bill's pointing at Sharon for those listeners out there. Uh, Well, I was brought up in a Christian family, and my parents were both uh, committed believers, and so I always was taught about Jesus. Um, And so I knew at a very early age that I needed to get saved. I remember asking my dad around the age of five or six, Mm -hmm. so you guys are going to take me to heaven with you, aren't you? And he said, no, Sharon, you need to receive Jesus as your own savior. That was very young. And I postponed that, uh, that decision until I was about 10. And then we went to an evangelistic service and I I heard an evangelist explain the gospel clearly. And it was the story of Zacchaeus. Uh And I was sitting up high in the balcony of that um, concert hall. And so I think the Lord just used that in a childlike way to remind me that I really sensed his presence for the first time then, personally, mm-hmm. and I knew I had to respond, so I did. Um, and then we had some various trials as family, and, and also the denomination that we were part of was um, pretty legalistic in terms of their pastoral care, and so mm-hmm. I actually wandered from the faith from the age of 14 to 20, and... Mm. Around that time of age 20, I was a student, and I really hit rock bottom. I understood there was really nothing outside of God and Jesus. So at that point, I recommitted my life, and I would say I started a journey then to really understand who this God of grace was. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand a lot about grace um, I had more of an authoritarian figure of right. God in my mind, and I know he's holy, and I had no problem with understanding all that <laughs> aspect and the wrath of God, but I did have a problem understanding grace. So, All right, we're back from the phone call, and uh, all right, and so, uh, good, so let's let's move over to Bill. And uh, then we'll come back to you in a little bit. But, Bill, what's your testimony? Sure. Well, at the age of five, my uh, dad was doing some uh, research on his family history. And so back home, what you do is you go to the local graveyard of your ancestors. So this was way before Ancestry.com. Okay. And he was inside chatting to the local minister because that's where all the death records are. And I was outside, and in this graveyard, every gravestone was a Richardson. And so I saw a grave with my name on it, William George Richardson. Wow. So at the age of five, I had this uh, tremendous fear of death. It was like the film A Christmas Carol with Scrooge. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, that carried right through to my teenage years. I had a real fear of death. But I had some minimal Sunday school teachings about Christ. 
and uh, really left the church. It was the Church of Scotland, very liberal. Uh, the Bible was never read at home or anything like that. Uh-huh. But I had some, you know, like the David and Goliath kind of stories that you would uh-huh. get in Sunday school. Um, in my teenage years, uh, a bit like Sharon, just went off the rails. Uh, and in Scotland, there's a lot of alcohol gets consumed. Uh-huh. And so certainly there was a time whereby I was going oh, probably out about four or five times a week. And wouldn't have said I was an alcoholic, but... We was definitely heading in that direction, you know, where you're drinking four or five pints a night or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, at that time, there was no way I would have gone to a church. Yeah, I had a lot of antagonism against the church, so a lot of hypocrisy there. Unfortunately, there was a, a minister who had uh, been interfering with children, and that uh-huh. was, for me, a big no-no. Uh-huh. But the, I was going to a youth group and there was an evangelist there who talked about Jesus Christ. And for the first time, I really heard about Jesus Christ as a person, but somebody who loved me and so that he was real and that he loved me. And that really resonated. And so I think at that time as well, um, it's probably about a couple of weeks after that, that I actually asked uh, Christ to come into my heart. I was sober, I was in my room, and it was a big question. I said, Jesus, if you're out there, I need to know, because I was getting myself into quite a bit of trouble. And I started saying sorry for some of the things that I had been doing. Mm-hmm. I just had this powerful encounter. He flooded my heart with love. And I knew three things after that prayer. One was that he was real. Two, that he loved me. And the third one was that he'd heard my prayer. And so at that point, I'd had this, I'd say at that point I became a born-again believer. But there was no way I would go to church. Church just wasn't an option. Mm -hmm. And so I was still kind of very much living the the party lifestyle, as it were. I moved to to Glasgow, where I went to do studying for outdoor education in the community. Mm -hmm. And three years, again, involved in the party scene, had pretty much a living girlfriend. But there was Christians in the halls of residence there. And they would come round and they would knock on the door. And we would be having these conversations. And I would say to them, I'd say, well, what does your faith mean by this? And I would really grill these guys. And I guess all my antagonism that I had against the church, mm-hmm. these guys got it in the neck. <laughs> and this is after you'd given your heart to God. After I'd given yeah. my heart to God, you know. Mm-hmm. But there was something different about them. They, were, they weren't perfect, but they were genuine. And I... I I couldn't put my finger on it, but I wanted what they had. There was one time, I remember, one of them came round and they knocked on the door. And I said, right, that's it. I've had enough. Don't come back. Don't pray for me. And I kind of slammed the door on them. And I, I did feel pretty bad about that. And so I said to them a couple of days later, I said, look, if you want to pray for me, I'm okay with that. And she said, Bill, we never stopped. <laughs> well, it was they never stopped praying for three years mm-hmm. like for three years I mean they, I was in halls of residence and they never judged me 
Uh, they knew what I was like. They saw me at breakfast time, um, hungover or whatever, and but they they just kept praying for me uh-huh. and kept interacting with me. Gradually over those three years, all my antagonism against the hypocrisy I saw in the church started getting a running away. And there was a couple of events that really kind of clicked into place for me. One was a book that they gave me, Run Baby Run. Yeah, Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz yeah. had a powerful impact in my life. And the, the other one was just really their uh, Christ-like witness, the way that they shone the light. And so at the end of university, and it was literally the second last week of my last term down in Glasgow, they said, Bill, would you like to make a commitment to follow Christ? And I said, yeah, I would. And so um, after that, I said, well, I'm going home to my home city. Do you know any churches there? And they said, well, we know this one. <laughs> That's how many churches there are in school. <laughs> it was, and I literally I walked into church one Sunday morning, a very kind of broken, hardened young man, I would say. And I was just met with overwhelming love and grace. And at that point, they started discipling me in uh, a weekly kind of Bible, Uh uh, you know, Bible group, a life group or whatever. And from there, I just never looked back. I just, uh, you know, I got involved in the church right from the start, started doing street work and just really started to grow in Christ. Um, and so that that's when the real transformation came out. Okay. So now back to you for a minute, Sharon. You had been brought out of a legalistic situation. Mm-hmm. And the last, before we got interrupted, you had been, you said you started your path of grace like, or something. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. How did that happen? What, what changed? Well, um, we were going to a different church by now as a family and it was more open excuse me and how old were you then uh i'd have been 19 okay so at this stage 1920 when i came back Mm -hmm. to the lord Mm -hmm. and um i really began to soak up the teaching about love and forgiveness and i guess i still was a bit works orientated because that had been um it was my way of trying to make up for having left the faith. And again, it took a few years before I understood that it's out of his resources we do these things. It's mm-hmm. out of our relationship with Christ that we serve him. And so, yeah, that that path has always just continued and I've um, experienced his unconditional love, his sustaining power, his strength, uh, just continually helping me to grow in that way. Okay, good. And how did God bring you guys together? <laughs> well, I I was an outdoor uh, instructor. Okay. So I mentioned my first degree was in outdoor education. Okay. Uh, can I just? Uh, that's not an American term. So what is outdoor education? Well, basically, you spell it F U N. Okay. <laughs> Having fun. Okay. It was a degree in hill walking, climbing, sailing, canoeing. Skiing and with not much work attached. Okay. So, yeah. Now that sounds very American. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I went to, it was actually a Christian outdoor center 
And I, I remember saying to God, I, I would never work in a Christian outdoor centre. <laughs> so he has a sense of humour there. And so there I was an outdoor instructor. And Sharon was the, the centre secretary. And so we were okay. from the same town, as it were. And I guess we became friends from day one. Yes, we did. And um, it was a great environment, beautiful location in Scotland. We had school groups who would come in and we would um, give them a program of outdoor education. And although it wasn't um, open that we could just share the gospel, we did have uh, talks in the evening and we would say as much as we could uh -huh. uh, to schools because they were not Christian schools that were coming. And Bill and I uh, really got to know each other through being part of this staff team of about 35 leaders. Now, but you didn't, even though you're from the same town, you did not know each other before. No, we did not. And then, then you found out you're both Christians pretty early on. Well, we, everyone who worked at the center was a Oh, Christian, it's a Christian center. Christian yeah, so center. that was assumed. It was a ministry yeah. uh, situation mm -hmm. that we met in. And, yeah, yeah. so um, our relationship grew from there. Yeah, and when did you know? When did you know, Bill, that God said, this is permanent? Well, I remember there was a ski instructor's dance. Okay. And I wanted to go to it. And so I actually asked... Sharon and I said, would you like to go to the ski instructor's dance with me? And she went, well, yeah, you know, I think that sounds like a good idea. And at that point I said, well, thank goodness for that. You're the third girl I've asked. <laughs> oh, no. This is true. Two of my friends had turned him down because at that point, Bill was a real zealot. He just really found his faith for sure. Mm -hmm. And so he was all out for God. And uh, I thought he was cute, but um, not cute enough to be the third girl. You know, he just wanted to go with somebody for fun. Um, so it took, I, I made him work hard at our relationship for another six months before I agreed to the proper date. <laughs> but I actually told her the next day, I said, look, uh, the, the tickets are 10 pounds. Are you okay with that? <laughs> oh, okay with saying no. And so he wanted me Now to you pay. sound like Scott. Scott. Yes. yes. <laughs> he wanted me to pay for my ticket too. It was, uh, yeah, not the brightest start, but uh, we, we overcame those hurdles and I yeah. could see his heart for God and that really drew mm -hmm. me to him. But we, it was a bit of fun at the beginning, wasn't it? So she did say no, but she said no with a twinkle in her eye. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And so you, you got married, uh, but you were in the business world for quite a while. Were you working outside the home at the time? Or you? Yes. I, well, I was administrator for our church. We were in a church plant in Scotland, very involved in that. I had been working for some oil companies because our home city is the oil capital of Europe. So um, the main industry in our city is oil and oil service companies. So I spent um, a few years doing that, and then I was asked to, to be the administrator for the church plant that we were very involved in. Okay. And you were in the business world as well. So what? tell, tell us what you were involved in. So from outdoor education, I initially went into outdoor sales. So I was selling skis and tents and jackets and stuff. A bit like um, Cabela's mm -hmm. or Tri-State. And then from there, I went to Coca-Cola. Uh, and so I was working for Coca-Cola initially in the licensed channel. And so that involved uh, hotels, uh, 
bars, clubs, social clubs, things like that. But it was always uh, Coke products going through the gun. You know, mm -hmm. the, right. Yeah, and the, um, we did shrimps as well. And then laterally, I was in the wholesale channel. So my customer base was more like Costco. Mm -hmm. And so fewer accounts, but massive orders. And then from there, from Coca-Cola, I went to Yellow Book or Yellow Pages, as we called back then. Mm -hmm. And so that was very intense in terms of a selling environment. It's very cutthroat, mm -hmm. difficult, very stressful work, wasn't it? <sighs> and, um, but it really enjoyed it. And so I was working with probably, I would see about five businesses every day. And so I would go and meet them and do their advertising and get their advertising sorted out and then come back and present a, both uh, an advert for the book, but also for the, the online as well, on mm -hmm. yellow.com, you know. And so do you any thoughts on that? Um, that was a tough time because during the time that Bill worked at Yellow Pages, he had a massive head injury. And he was going to go out on his bike on Saturday morning, fell, and fractured his skull on the door jamb of, of our little forester's cottage that we lived in. Uh -huh. And so he had a three-inch fracture down the side of his head, and that resulted in um, severe brain bruising and an altered personality for a year. Wow. Yeah. So that did you have kids time. at the time? We did. Yeah, we okay. had uh, Amy Rose and Peter, and they were just about maybe eight and seven, eight mm -hmm. six at that time. So, you know, it was, it was a difficult time because the healing took a long time. The personality uh, change was difficult because he's usually a very laid-back person. So he became super uptight and stressed, uh, which was hard for family life. Mm -hmm. Um, but it took a year. He had um, neurological tests, and they said it'll take about a year for him to come back. And his job is the ideal testing zone to do that. The, the brain exercises he will get from uh, meeting customers, assessing their needs, putting in the orders, and seeing the job through would be the best brain process that he could have. So actually, it was his creative thought that was affected the most. Um, neurologically and that all came back at about you know a year okay okay and so then and, and I'm probably jumping way ahead and everything but at some point you took a turn into the ministry from being and obviously you're always actively involved in church if you're in a church plant you're more than just your average pew sitter right I mean you're doing that but at some point you decided so tell me about that how did this couple that was in the business world raising a family in Scotland and now here you are in the United States mm -hmm. pastoring a church in the great northwest so yeah I think um, right from as a, as a young believer, the Lord laid it on my heart for full-time ministry. And it really never happened. Uh, I was always involved in ministry in the church. We did pretty much everything there. Prison fellowship. Prison fellowship. Mm -hmm. Did that for, for nine years. Um, but there was never the, the opportunity for full-time vocational as a pastor. And it kind of came to a head one time. I remember 
uh, saying to the Lord, I was very active at witnessing in the workplace. And it was like, Lord, if you want me to be a minister in the workplace, I'm happy with that. And I, I kind of let the dream die, as it were. And I have to say, Dad, you know, that really grieved me. That just grieved my heart. Mm -hmm. But it was almost like I, I, I laid it to death, as it were. And as we said, we were involved in this church plant. At the time, my, uh, the elders had just asked me to come on board as an elder. We had land, but we didn't have building. And so one of the elders had said, well, do, do you know anybody internationally who can help us with finance or especially with prayer? And just to say, I mean, church plants in Scotland don't happen very often. I mean, it's national news if they do. Hmm. If a new church starts up, and so why don't you take it from from there, Shane? Sure. We had quite a few Americans in our congregation because of the oil, so our city um, it almost twins with Houston, you know. Okay. And so um, the idea was that the Americans too wanted to connect with their home churches in America and tell them about this exciting new development, and so. We made a little video about what we were doing, and I knew two pastors in Scotland, in um, America, and sent the video to them. And one of those guys was Bill McLeod, who is actually the founder of Mission Connection in Portland. He, at that time, um, he was working for Luis Palau. Okay. Had been working for Luis Palau for many years, and in fact had come to our home city in 1979 with Luis Palau and our family hosted him. And so this was a Portland connection that our family had. Mm -hmm. And so God used that to, um, Bill invited us to an evangelist's conference in Portland. But you got in touch with him after about 20 years. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then Bill and I became friends. Right. And he said, there's this conference, why don't you come to it? And it was a conference for evangelists. I was involved in prison evangelism at the time. Mm -hmm. And our our first thought was, this just isn't the right time. You know, we're literally going to break ground here. As I said, the elders had asked me to come on board, but as we prayed about it, it just wouldn't go away. And we, I, I remember saying to Sharon, I said, you know, Shay, I think we should go to this conference just to ascertain if this is God's leading in our life. And uh, this was sort of back in 2008-2009 with the, the last recession. And so when you're in advertising, it's not a good time <laughs> to be in advertising. And so at that time, I was going around my customers and they were saying, Bill, I'm cancelling all my advertising. And, well, you know, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> well, in my line of work, if you don't hit target, you're out the door. And so the writing was definitely on the wall. Uh, you would turn up on a Monday and you'd be speaking to somebody, a sales colleague, and they were gone on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. and so it was pretty tough time. And they were ruthless. There was no <laughs> goodbye ceremony. And on the back of that, I decided, I decided to hand in my resignation. And uh, that was two weeks before this conference event. And then Sharon said, oh, look, there's a seminary attached to this uh, conference. Well, Luis Palau went to Multnomah. Okay, yeah. And we literally had three 
days at the conference. Fantastic. If you've ever been in a room full of evangelists all at one time, oh my goodness. God help us. I know. There's so much energy in there. You could power an entire city, I think, you know. But, uh, You know what would be worse? A room full of prophets. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Interject. We'll edit that out. But anyway. Go ahead. Keep going. And we had one afternoon at Malnoma. And in that time, we literally saw the president. We saw... Dean of Students. Dean of Students and an academic advisor. Yeah, and admissions officer and, and the housing person. Oh, and which... it was back to back. Um, everyone was available at virtually no notice. So you went appointments with each other, yeah. you know, impromptu appointments, one-on-one. Impromptu. Right. I mean, yeah. these are busy people. You know, some yeah. of them travel. Mm -hmm. And I guess at the end of that, we we felt, you know, we need to come here. And stuff. So were your kids with you at this, or had they stayed? No, we, they had stayed in Scotland, and we had gone really discerning that God was stirring us up for something. And these almost like big double doors opening at the same time that you feel, really, you have to go through this to see what he's saying. And the way everything lined up, the way that we both were on the same page, absolutely. That, that doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had often been in seasons of we should go full-time. Oh, we can't go full-time. We should go full-time. Oh, well, we're having good you know, conversations at work. And, yeah. But this time, everything came together, and we knew that this was the Lord's leading. So we went back. To Scotland and we um, told our church and we shared with the elders and that was hard for them yeah. mm -hmm. because you know they had hopes that we would uh, stick around for a while but, but as well I mean we literally we got on the plane we informed the elders and we put our house in the market in faith mm -hmm. uh, and um, the house the house actually sold um, about four or five months later and yep. we um, the Lord tripled the value of wow. what we had paid for the house. And we knew absolutely without a shadow of, the of a doubt that he was going ahead of us because it covered all our fees for international student fees and our kids' education in a Christian school for three years. So um, I was also able to go to the Multnomah Spouse Enrichment Program and mm -hmm. sit with Bill in class. These were amazing days for us. So. Okay, cool, cool. So then, um, then, then the next phase. Uh, did you always plan on getting into pastoral ministry after that? Is that kind of the? You know, that it, it's fair to say having a background in evangelism, and so when we went to Multnomah, we decided we didn't want to do that track, but so we started off on a general emphasis. But the Lord really navigated us into the pastoral side of things. Mm -hmm. and I'd probably say it was maybe towards the end of the, the, the second year, third year. Uh, I mean, I love teaching from the Word. I've always loved the Word of God and have a, a real strong belief in the, in the local church as well. Mm -hmm. and I've always had a heart as a shepherd for, for caring for people, for counseling for people. And that kind of pointed us towards uh, pastoral ministry. And the, so the intention was there. And I remember, you know, saying to somebody, you know, about this. 
I said, I was chatting to one of my professors. I said, you know, I've got this background in evangelism. I said, well, you know, this tension with a pastor's heart and uh, wanting to preach from the Word of God. And he said, well, you can be a pastor with an evangelist's heart. And I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> I really thought of that. Kingdom's big enough for that. Well, that was it. And yeah. so really from that point on, mm -hmm. graduated in 2013. I actually started looking for or applying for jobs in 2012, December 2012. Mm. And one thing happened was that uh, we weren't getting anywhere. Like we applied for churches. Uh, maybe it was because they couldn't understand it or, <laughs> or needed an interpreter or something. So by the end of um, you know November 2013, I had no leads left. And my mom from Scotland said, well, would you like to come home for Christmas. So I said, well, we're, we're trying to apply for a job, but, you know, I'll check with customs and immigration. <laughs> and so I phoned them up and I said, you know, I've graduated. Yes, we know that. I said, I'm on my uh, occupational training, which is an extension. Yeah, we know that. Can I travel? Yes, you can. Can my family travel? Well, they're dependents, so they can travel with you. So we all went home for Christmas. And then on the way back, we had to go via Germany. And they wouldn't let us come on board the plane. We weren't allowed to come back into the country. And they, uh, we're standing in Frankfurt Airport. And our, our life was in America. I mean, our certificates, right. in the apartment, car, our life was here. And I said, I said, I don't understand. I said, I, I, you know, I phoned up Customs and Immigration. And they said, well, you were legally allowed to stay in the United States. But because you've come out, you now need another visa to come back in. And I'm thinking, well, I've already graduated. So they're not going to give me a student visa. So we had to go back to our, our embassy back in Ireland, as it were. That's where you get the, um, the passports. And uh, they wouldn't give us a visa. Oh, wow. And so at that point, I mean, it was just, it was like an amputation. We thought we were doing what God had called us to do. And uh, I was allowed back in just for a couple of weeks. I had to say to them, I said, look, we're paying hospital bills there. I need to go back. So they allowed me to go, but Sharon and the kids had to stay at home. Hmm. It was very hard to understand why God would allow that yeah. because we had felt that he wanted us to minister in America. We both felt that strongly. And so this detour was not something that we were receiving well. And we, it really seemed like the death of a dream more than a detour at the time. Mm -hmm. But it transpired that what he was, God was actually doing during that time was um, allowing time for me to help my mom, my widowed mom, to go through her assessments for dementia. So mm. she had vascular dementia, she was living on her own, my siblings had full-time jobs, very busy, and I was really the only person who could do that and then find suitable care for her. And in, in God's kindness, he knew that I would never really feel free mm -hmm. to serve without knowing she was going to be okay mm -hmm. and in the right place. 
So that took a few months, and he um, he allowed us to um, find a, a position, a job that just ticked all the boxes for Bill on the Multnomah website for Pullman, the Evangelical Free Church of the Palouse, and, and you read the job description. I'd actually, I'd actually closed off America altogether. That's uh -huh. a no, that's a, the door's closed there, you know. Uh -huh. um, and it was really, a, you know, the, the end of a dream, I would say, as Sharon said. And so we were applying for jobs back in Scotland. We got offered jobs, but we neither of us had that total peace. Uh -huh. like one would say, yeah, this is good, or this just doesn't work out. And it's okay. And so it was a, a couple of people actually said to me, "So just because you haven't succeeded once doesn't mean to say you can't try again." Mm -hmm. And my pastor said that. And so from that point, I thought, "Well, there's more than one people saying this, so maybe they, again the Holy Spirit's leading in that." And mm -hmm. that's when we saw the job free free. And uh, it was in the um, the career section of Multnomah University. Mm -hmm. We applied. We came out. Um, they were very late on in terms of their interview process, and we we got the job. And so after that, we went home. Realized we couldn't get a visa for six months. So Efri very graciously. <laughs> We kept, we kept, wow, okay, yeah. kept uh, the job open for six months. And during that time, back in Scotland, and uh, I couldn't take a full-time job, because obviously I had the job here, mm -hmm. but what I, I, it allowed me to do was to do itinerant ministry. And so at that time, I preached in, I think, about 10 churches on about 20 different occasions. Mm -hmm. I just loved it. It was yeah. great. You kind of go in there, you, you preach the message, uh, you don't get involved in any politics, and then, you, and then you're off. And it was fantastic. We, we have a saying here, you start to shine when you cross the state line. <laughs> so you're, you know, you're in other churches, and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was it. But what that really did was it just confirmed the calling that I had to yeah. preach the Word of God and uh, and I, I took it really seriously. I would preach a different sermon every week. I think I went through the book of Ephesians. And and then with a short spell of some seasonal work. And then we came out here January 2015. And we've been here ever since. All right. Anything to add on that? No, that's, that's how that's it happened. It. We okay. took our whole family this time on the, the last trip. So yeah. we had... Um, had a 10-day interview, and then we got the job. So, yeah. Yeah, good. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about prayer uh, because I, you, you talked about that. I don't know what your background is, but you both seem to be very, let's just say, I mean, every Christian is for prayer. I mean, no, you know, nobody's against prayer, but that seems to be a passion mm -hmm. for you guys. Can you tell me about that? Maybe start with you, Sharon. Well, sure. My Interestingly, my uh, dad was a huge man of prayer. He always prayed about everything. So I was brought up knowing that and seeing that. He was a very good one-to-one -one person. And so we would have young people in our uh, fellowship would come to him with the dates and times of their exams. 
for school, knowing that he would pray for yeah. them at that date and on, you know, the hour. And so he was very faithful in that. And then I was involved in several mission trips and evangelistic events. I had the privilege of working with the Billy Graham team in Mission Scotland 1991. And almost a year of prayer goes into something like that. Mm -hmm. And so there's a huge prayer emphasis for any outreach. You really have to cover it in that. So that would be my background. And my dad was also involved in prison fellowship. And I never knew I would marry someone who was also involved <laughs> with, um, you know, prison ministry because Bill never actually met my father. He died the year we met. Oh. So, um, yes, it's always been there for me as a, a spiritual discipline. Yeah, yeah, good. Bill? I think it was something the Lord started on my heart in, uh, back in Scotland. And then coming here, I read a couple of books. One was Fresh Wind... Fresh Fire by Jim Sambala, yeah. Great book, and um, I really related to that from the point of view that his church was built on prayer rather than programs. And that was resonated with me, but to be fair, I really didn't know what to do about it hmm. or how to implement that. And so at E3, when we came here, uh, there wasn't a prayer meeting as such, but there was a lot of prayer happening. And so there was prayer happening in life groups and different situations. And then it was actually on vacation, and I heard a man called Daniel Henderson, and he was talking about a book called Old Paths, New Power. Mm -hmm. And it was very similar to Jim Simbala about this idea of, of prayer, especially worship-based prayer, based on the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed Be Your Name. And I guess that was actually transformational because normally a prayer meeting in Scotland, you would go there and just bring your list before the Lord. Mm -hmm. Well, the first part of the, the Lord's Prayer is giving worship to God. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And so that was more the emphasis. And so from there, I actually, I read the book, I gave it to the elders to read. And then I said, look, you know, I think this is, uh, there's something in this. Well, before they'd started, they'd, they'd, they'd even finished the book. I was already implementing, we had a prayer night here on a Wednesday. And starting to do just this worship-based prayer, we would take a text of scripture, usually a psalm, worship the Lord. Now, we would still give prayer requests, but it was giving that priority to God first. And uh, through that, I, I then did some training with this organization called Strategic Renewal. And they're uh, part of the Act 6-4 Fellowship. Well, the Act 6-4 is when the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And those two things, I would say, are the main focuses of, of my uh, ministry. Mm -hmm. And so... That uh, led to some, some more training with them. And uh, I got invited to speak to uh, the Evangelical Church District Conference. And they said, Bill, you're the new guy. You can talk on whatever you want. <laughs> and so I said, well, I'm going to do a prayer format. We did that. And there was probably about 15, 20 churches represented there, maybe about 50, 60 people. And it was powerful. And my thought was, well, why aren't we doing this in Pullman? And so I came back and I asked the elders and I said, I really think we need to be getting 
pastors and ministry leaders together here. And they said, yep, absolutely, no problem. And it, it just took off. It literally took off. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody heard about it, wanted to fund it. Yeah. One of your colleagues. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, yeah. And um, the Lord was really going before it. In fact, I can't even remember asking uh, the cooks. And they said they volunteered. And so we started having a prayer breakfast. And that was back in September 2017. Mm-hmm. One a month. And the first one, I thought, I hope people come. <laughs> and we had 30 people. Mm-hmm. Probably from about 10 to 15 churches represented or ministries. And it just, my heart was, I thought, well, I, I don't want this to be a one-off. And so we've been meeting every month since then. We took two months off last summer for a vacation. Mm-hmm. And it's been a, a, a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. But I, more than just a prayer thing, I'd say it's changed the prayer culture of our church. And so from... You know, having the, the Wednesday night, we call that a fresh encounter with Jesus, to the pastor's breakfast. We now integrate it in our staff meetings, with the elders' meetings, in the board meetings. And it's taken, it's just kind of growing, isn't it? It's kind of gaining, uh, gaining ground, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a new culture for many people, and there's a, a certain amount of format to it where you can follow the format or more recently we have had just open times mm-hmm. where people naturally because we have had more practice in giving praise to God and starting off honoring him that that continues and then people will give out a, a scripture or a hymn song um, and so it's it's really progressed yeah. yeah yeah good where do you think God's taken it you know I would like to see um, I would like it to see when we're getting starting looking at prayer maybe on a Saturday morning I would love to see the uh, the base of the pastors and ministry leaders uh, expand as well but I think as well individually and we're already starting to notice this is that the difference that it's making in people's lives and it's, there's something about when we worship the Lord and it changes the, the, the way when our focus is on Him and it's not on ourselves. And I, I'd say we've seen that in, in multiple people in the church. And so I, I guess my desire is to, to really seek and have the presence of God with us mm-hmm. and to... Uh, for the Holy Spirit to work through us as uh, a community of believers. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, that's happening. Um, maybe not as quick as I would like it. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, it's not driven by man. I want it to be led by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Good. What is one thing that you would like to say that maybe we haven't touched on or anything? I'll give each of you a chance to... Um, I think, you know, the fact that God is so faithful to us and often we don't understand his workings. We don't understand his timings, but he has such a heart for the details in our lives. He is so for us and often we can get caught up in circumstances and not realize 
that he truly is faithful. He is working out um, all his purposes for good in our lives. Um, through the hard times, the confusing times, he's there. And so, yeah, I think that's been our experience as a family. Good, good. Yeah, but, you know, I would add to that. I think faithfulness, as we kind of look back over the last sort of uh, 10 years, when he started moving us towards ministry and just feeling really fulfilled in that. Uh, during, Sharon mentioned the accident, but during that time, I asked myself, what is it I really want to do in my life? Because high-end sales wasn't that. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the simple answer to that was, I just want to help people. And so now I would say, you know, his faithfulness to us over the last 10 years, we feel... Uh, I certainly feel fulfilled in that role as a pastor, just being able to, to minister to people, uh, to be a shepherd, I count it as a huge privilege. It really is, you know. And uh, it's a very special work. It's a difficult work, but it's a wonderful work. And seeing his faithfulness in that to now, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it for us. It's no, there's no regrets, as it were. Right. It just feels completely right. Well, thank you very much. It's good to uh, talk with you today, and we'll talk again. Thank you for listening to the Christian Leadership Podcast with your host, Dan Smith. You can find us at christianleadershippodcast.com or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with more Christian Leadership Insights. Have a great week and see you next time.